0: It's good to be with you. Thank you, Pastor Paul, for opening your pulpit to me. I'm very grateful to be here. I like the spirit of this church. I like the Bible-centeredness. I like the prayer. I like the praise. This is good. It's good to be here. You can smell the bouquet of the spirit. The title of my message this morning is in the form of a question. It's a question that I ask myself periodically. It's a question that I'm asking you this morning. Do you long for his appearing? Do you love his appearing? I ask myself this question periodically because it's a way for me to check true north on my compass. If I don't long to see Jesus face to face, if I don't long for his appearing i need to ask myself how much i really know him and love him my wife directs a mission to impoverished families down in central mexico and she's gone quite a bit of the time she's gone a number of months over the summer and well over the whole year and she uh, when she's away i miss her enormously We're still together in heart. We pray for one another. We still pray at night for ten... We always pray at night, hold hands, and thank God for ten good things that have happened that day. And we like to hold hands at night, and each of us do ten things. But when she's away, we can't hold hands and do that. But I know she's praying and thanking God for ten good things, and I am too. We're together, but we're apart. I have her picture, but I don't see her. I want to see her face to face. The Lord Jesus Christ is our groom. We are the bride of Christ. If we have no longing to see Him, I think we need to ask ourselves, where are we with Him? doesn't mean we're lost, although it could mean that, depending upon whether we've ever been found. But it certainly could mean that another love has slipped in and begun to rival Him. Something else has crept in. Sometimes I think we're so fearful of being these people who have erroneously gone out over the years and predicted Christ would return on a certain date, and they bring ill repute to the name of the Lord. They embarrass people. They get on television and say, this is going to happen. God's coming at this time. We know. I mean, I heard all kinds of stuff when we hit the year 2000. My golly, I didn't even know that the Hebrews had the same calendar we did, but there were people real certain about that and knew what was going to happen. It's embarrassing. And so we get pushed because of the excesses one way, not to ever think about his return and not long about it. Joe Stowell, who is now the, he he used to be the president of Moody Bible Institute. He's now a teaching pastor at a big church that, Loves the word of God in the metro Chicago area. I heard Joe Stowell on radio one time say that a friend of his who has a ministry to young adults who are mentally challenged. They haven't developed mentally like they have physically. They have a choir called the Melmac Bell Choir. Maybe you've even encountered them at some time or another. And... Joe Stowell went to visit the man that oversaw this ministry, and he was there looking over the grounds and looking at the things and the head man said, "Joe, do you know what our single most <laughs> the piece of maintenance that requires more attention here than anything else for the buildings?" He said, "No, I don't really know." He said he was thinking, you know, maybe stopped up toilets, you know or, you know whatever." He said, the thing that requires the most maintenance is cleaning the windows because the men and women who are in here are constantly, their face and their hands on the windows, looking for Jesus to come. You see, they've been taught about Jesus and their minds are quite capable of understanding that He is King of kings and Lord of lords and that He loves them and that He's he's preparing a place for them and He's going to come back and bring them to be with Him. And he says they're constantly looking out the windows for him to return. Do you ever long for his return? Do you ever think about it? When my wife is away from me down at her ministry in Mexico, I know she's where she's supposed to be. I know she's doing the things... And I don't think about her every minute of every day. I have classes to teach. I have things to do. But there is a longing in me. And certainly late at night as I'm getting ready to say my prayers and end the day, I long for her return. Do I do that with Jesus? It's a real litmus test, I think, of our relationship with Him. There's no question about it. The text that we have before us this morning, 2 Timothy chapter 4, is a very important text. Look at... St. Paul's words to Timothy with me, if you will. Paul is writing sort of a farewell letter, a last letter to Timothy. Probably the last thing he wrote to him, and he certainly was assuming it might be. Recall the scene with me a bit, if you will. Paul is in prison in Rome. Timothy is apparently in Ephesus. Paul's companions, except for Luke have left him. And Paul implores this young man whom he has mentored and poured a lot into, this disciple of his. He said, Timothy, I want you, in in earlier verses, he said, I want you to endure infliction and do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill the ministry that you've been called to do. And then he has some final requests. In verse 9, he says, Come quickly, A little later on in this letter, he says, come before winter and bring my cloak and my books, especially my parchments. And he says, bring Mark with you. Get Mark and bring him with you. I want to talk to him. Paul has been through a preliminary hearing in Rome for preaching the gospel of Christ. He talks about his first defense in verses 16 and 17 in chapter 4, and he says, I've been snatched out of the mouth of the lion, but he knows it's temporary. He's made it through a first defense, but he knows that the final verdict will not be in his favor. Indeed, he says in verse 6, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure literally... In the original language, the time of my loosing, I'm going to be loosed from this body in this situation. The time of my loosing is at hand. And then he says this. He said, but it's okay. It's okay, Timothy. I'm at peace. Look at verse 7. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And then he says in verse 8, Therefore, consequently, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And then notice these words at the very end of this text. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved or longed for his appearing. What Paul's talking about here in the original language is he said, I'm going to get a garland, a wreath that a victor gets in in an Olympian race. And I'm going to get this victory wreath. And not only am I going to get one, but so will everybody who longs for the appearing of Christ. When I first became a Christian and started memorizing Scripture, I memorized this text and I didn't memorize the last portion of this. I wanted to. God, I want to fight the fight. I want to finish the race. I want to keep the faith. I want to be a man for You, Lord. There's nothing wrong with those desires. There's nothing wrong with that prayer. But I didn't add on the thing that I believe is the core that enabled him to do it. And that is, he was so in love with Jesus that he longed for His appearing. Look at this with me if you would. There is a very interesting... Piece of scripture, if you would turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 with me for just a moment. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And here, Paul, this is not self pity, this is just talking about hey, this is what's been going on with me. I want you to know what's been going on. He says, he's talking about others, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, and I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, I'm in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 23, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews five times I receive forty stripes minus one. If you've seen the movie The Passion of Christ and have seen the stripes on someone, this guy's had this happen five times. Five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren in weariness and toil, and sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness besides the other things, what comes upon me daily and my deep concern for all the churches. This has been happening to him, and it's in this context, and Timothy knows it, that he's saying, I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith, I'm, I'm going to cross over now. They're going to execute me this time, because I know it. The Spirit's revealed it to me. But it's okay. I've fought the good fight. I've kept the race. Now, Paul writes to the church at Philippi. Philippians 4, verse 13. He says this. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He doesn't mean here I can that Lyle Dorsett can, with Christ, whip Tiger Woods on the golf course. I can't even whip my son on the golf course. He doesn't mean I can achieve any earthly goal I have if I just pray hard enough. And I think there are people that believe that. I can do all things through Christ. What he's saying is, I can suffer these hardships that I've enumerated here, and still be faithful to Jesus, continue to go forward and be, in our case here, maybe a godly husband, a godly wife, a mother who's devoted to her family. I can do this despite all the garbage that Satan dumps into my life. And some of you, I've met you, and I've talked to you, and I know you've had pain in your life. I can go on and seek to bring glory to Him because I've loved His appearance. I've longed for His appearing. Put another way, and I think it's really important that we see this, those who persevere and end up bringing glory to God are those who love Him. Who long for Him because they love Him. In fact, this might even... I'm sure it isn't good news to you people in this church, but I think it is to some Christians, that, that they don't even know that Jesus says eternal life is not when you die... And cross over. Eternal life is to know. The Greek word know is very deep, very pregnant with meaning. Eternal life is to know the Father and Jesus Christ whom He has sent. It doesn't say know about Him. To have taken a course in the life and teachings of Jesus, to be an authority on Christology, to have studied a volume of systematic theology, know all the good stuff. It doesn't say to know about Him here alone, although that's very important, or I wouldn't teach in a seminary. But it's to know him here, too. And when you get to know him here, you not only begin to get assurance of salvation, you want to introduce others to him. When I met my wife, When I first met Mary, I couldn't wait to introduce her to my best friends. I realize this works with Jesus. Once you get to know Jesus, nobody has to teach you how to do evangelism, although some techniques might be helpful. You're going to talk about him because you know him, you're in love with him, and you can't help but tell others about him. This is why the most important thing I ever heard from a seminary professor was this. Don't you worry about the breadth of your ministry. How many people could we reach? You worry about the depth of your ministry and the Holy Spirit will take care of the breadth of it. You go deep with Jesus and the Holy Spirit will take care of breadth. It will just get contagious. You can see that in young life, can't you? The people that love Jesus, it gets contagious with these other young people. They're not going to come for fun alone forever. They're going to hang out because you've got something they haven't got and they want. And that can't be hoped up because kids smell through hypocrisy. I have fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. I didn't quit. Why? Because I'm so tough? Because I'm a spiritual Marine? No, because I love him and I long to see him. He says, "I'm a man with his eye on the prize. I can, I have a heavenly vision. I can see where I'm going. I know what I'm going to. And this trail, this trail of tears and problems and pain is temporary." I taught at Wheaton College for 22 years. I had the privilege of having, had the privilege of being paid to work around students like Andrew and Sandy when I was there. And that was a privilege. I would have done it for nothing, uh, although Mary said, don't say anybody, don't say that to anybody, we do need the money. We've got to pay the house payments, and it would help to pay for gas in the car. But I, when I taught at Wheaton, the last nine years I was there, I pastored a church. A group of us decided to plant a church, and I continued to teach full-time, and I was a senior pastor of a church that began to grow. And we were very committed to missions like you are, we were very based on Scripture. And I want to tell you the story of two couples in that church. I'm not going to use any names, but I'm going to tell you the story of two couples. They had similar but not matching problems. The first couple, they were committed to Jesus. They were both members of the church, and they could not wait to get to the mission field. And our church said, you're committed to the Lord. You want to go to the mission field. You help. They each had various things they did to serve the church. We will support you. In the middle of this time of preparation, the young woman was pregnant with her first child, all excited about becoming a mother, and then she had a miscarriage. When the miscarriage came, she and her husband quit their small group, an intimate group with friends in the church, and refused to come back to church. The last three years we were there, we never saw them in church. And the mother-in-law called me and said, "And because I had called numerous times, said, I want to come over and pray with you. They would not return my calls. They would not return my calls. They were, at least she was angry with God. They no longer intend to go to the mission field. They don't even go to church. They forsake meeting together and worshiping together, and they wallow in self-pity. At least for this season, they have not fought the good fight. They have not finished the race. They have not kept the faith. The question inevitably arises, Paul, as a pastor, did this couple in my church even really know Jesus? They said all the right things. They were even planning the right kind of future. The other couple, roughly the same age, lovely young couple, the wife gets pregnant, turns out that in an ultrasound, they said, this baby's going to be terribly malformed, you need to have an abortion. And they came and we prayed with them, prayed with their parents. You know, you can't tell people what to do, but they wanted our opinion. And Mary and I said, we don't believe it's right for you to abort this baby, but you've got to pray. Well, the doctors are pushing a lot of pressure on it. Well, you need to pray because you answer to a higher God than they are. They were told when they wouldn't go on with the abortion to terminate the pregnancy whatever nice language anybody wanted to use, well, this baby won't go to term. They said, well, so be it. And then as the baby kept living and growing, six months, seven months, well, this baby cannot live when it's born. It won't be born alive. And if it is born alive, it won't be well. And it won't live. So be it. They were hurting. They cried. They had questions for God. Their hearts were broken. And we prayed with them and said, God, if we were in charge, we wouldn't do it this way. But they were like the apostles because in essence they heard Jesus say, are you going to turn from me like the other couple? And what they said in essence through tear-filled eyes and massive questions in their hearts, Lord, to whom would we turn? To whom can we go? They had real problems, real horrid things in their life, but they knew Jesus. They do know Jesus. The baby was born, by the way, at Northwestern University's hospital. Dr. J., I went over to the hospital and I held this little boy. They named him Micah. His eyes were big and blue and he was a beautiful baby. He didn't have a rib cage on one side and he did die but he lived four years, four days. He lived four days and mom held him and they thanked God for him. They named him and they buried him out in a hospital and we had a certain bonding because Mary and I had buried a ten year old girl who died of meningitis, sick one night and gone the next morning. And she, this, she's buried, she and Micah are within about ten yards of one another. And so we'd each go to the cemetery and thank God that we had the privilege of lives that were a little short by our measuring sticks. God, we wouldn't do it quite this way, but we gotta hang on you because we don't know who else to hang on to. The disease that racked the body of little Micah and took him home early. After four days, was something that was genetically with mom and dad or both. I don't know this. You doctors know this. All I know is that they were really concerned, should we get pregnant again? Because this could happen again. And they were praying about it. We're not sure what to do. And they never did make a decision. They hadn't heard from the Lord. And then they got pregnant unexpectedly. And they had another baby. And the baby is healthy and beautiful. And they drove down to Birmingham to show Mary and me the baby. And we could celebrate together. Stories don't always end out that well. But theirs did. After a lot of travail. And I think at least for this season of their life, this young couple can say we are fighting the good fight. We're trying to finish the race. And we're keeping the faith as best we can. Why? I'll tell you why. Because they know Jesus Christ personally. They touch him. They know him so well that even when all of heaven falls in on them and hurts them and kills them, and I can't imagine any more pain than they had. They say, Jesus, I'm going to hold on to you. And this isn't saying, look how great they are. This is saying how humble they are that they'll hang on to Him. This isn't saying, boy, they're giants. No, it's saying they have a great God and they understand they have a great God. Our daughter died about 5.45 in the morning at the hospital. Late that night when Mary and I went to bed and we finally fell asleep maybe at 2 a.m. I don't think we ever fell asleep. Around three, I nudge Mary in the wake of Erica's death. Been about twenty hours by that time. You're numb, it's like you've been in a car wreck, you have a bad wound and you don't the, everything's numb for a while, the trauma folds off the excruciating pain for a while, and all of a sudden the pain's setting in. I grabbed Mary's hand, I said, Mary, Erica's gone. This isn't a bad dream, she's gone. He said I know. And so we did the only thing we needed to do. We weren't valiant, in fact, we were so broken that we did the only thing we needed to do. We cried out in the spirit of John 14. Jesus Christ had said before he before he was crucified and was going to be ascended, he said, "I will not leave you as orphans." If you love Me, you'll obey Me. And if you do that, He said, I tell you, My Father and I will come to you. The Blessed Holy Spirit, the paraclete, He's going to come to you. And He's going to do a lot of things for you. He's going to teach you. He's going to counsel you. And He's going to comfort you. I said, Mary, let's ask the Comforter to come. We've got to have Him. He did come. Pain didn't end. It still didn't end. You can see these tears in my eyes. It didn't end. We grieved, but not like those that have no hope. And at least for today, we can fight the fight, try to finish the race, hope we keep the faith. Why? Because He's great. Because we got our eyes out there on Him, not on us. And where do we get that idea? We get it from the inspired Scriptures where Paul said, I've been able to survive this stuff because of Jesus. And my eyes are on Him. So my challenge for you today is that when He returns, if He comes, you know, the Scripture says when the Son of Man returns, will He find faith? Will He find us longing for Him like the kids up there in Michigan or Pennsylvania at that home looking out the windows, messing up the windows because they're looking for Him? Or will they find us saying, God, you got some answering to do for the mess in my life. What's he going to find? This is a litmus test of where we are. I'm not saying this because I've got it all together. I don't. I'm a flawed person just like some of the rest of you. But I'm trying to cling to him. I tell you how I want to be found. years ago in the late in the late 19th century there was a, a boy his name was Hamlin Garland maybe you ha- Claire maybe you got some of Hamlin Garland's books in the salt shaker bookstore he was a writer he won the won a couple of prizes for writing he wrote a lot of books he wrote a book of short stories and one of the short stories is called the return of the private I've read a lot of his correspondence. He wrote a biography of General Grant. His dad was a Union soldier in in the Civil War. His dad was in a Union volunteer infantry regiment from Wisconsin. He was a little bitty shaver when his dad went off the war. When the war ended, dad didn't come home for quite a while. Because he, when the war ended, he was down in Louisiana and he had to make it by train. He he had to walk and it took him months to get home. Hamlin says in his little story, The Return of the Private, that the first day he saw his dad was what he wanted to write about. But he put it in this context, in the story and in some other things he wrote. He said that his mother was always longing for his dad's return. And he said the day that he first saw his dad, he said mom did what she often did and would stand looking out in the distance longing for her husband to come back. He said this particular day, he said it was late, later on in the summer. The corn crop was up. And mom, he presumed years later, was leaning against the fence and looking out over that crop and wondering how she's going to get it in. She always had to hire people to do it. She couldn't do it all with her husband gone. And she's leaning on this rail fence looking. And little Hamlin, who's about five years old or so, looks down the road and he sees a man with a musket on his shoulder and a blue uniform coming up the road. He doesn't know who he is. He doesn't remember his dad. And dad comes and mom doesn't see him. Dad slips up behind her and comes and put his arm around her. And he said, my darling, I'm home. I promised you I'd be back. She turned around and she said, oh, I have longed for you. I've longed for this day. I've waited for you and longed. I want to be found that way. Jesus, it hadn't been easy. There's been a war on. There's been problems. There have been early deaths. Been a lot of things, Lord. But I'm waiting for you to come back, and I really need you, especially when things get rough. I want to be found that way. My prayer for you is that you want to be found that way too. The way to cultivate this in your soul, I believe, is to sing praises to him. One exercise I try, and it's just one thing I do, is I try to sing at least one or two praise hymns every morning. I don't sing them out loud and wreck Mary's day. I'm not much of a vocalist, but I'll tell you this. I do sing in the shower under my voice, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. I get in my car and i got a CD. I have 5.8 miles to go to the university from, from our home. And I've got praise music on there. And I listen to Isaac Watts hymns. And I listen to Charles Wesley hymns. And I listen to the Reverend Parinets All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name. And the more I sing praises to him, the more I long for him. And the closer I feel to him. It's like sometimes when Mary's away, I will sit down and write little lists of the things she has done or some of her attributes that I'm grateful for. So by the time she gets back, I'm more grateful for Study his attributes. Sing praises to him. Psalm 22, verse 3 says, God indwells the praises of his people. He gets around you and you're going to long to see him face to face. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do love you and we long to see you because of that love. We love you because you first loved us. Jesus, forgive us that we haven't loved you like you love us. We haven't loved you in the way we should but you are loving and understanding. So I pray for myself today and for my sisters and brothers here that you would help us know you better and love you more. Help us long for your appearing and draw others to stand at the fence with us to look down the road for you to come to your glory. Amen.